as you can see the title, The God Who Sees Me, uh, it's the story of Hagar. Hagar, as you know, is a woman who uh, never thought God would take notice of her. She wasn't important. She wasn't wealthy um, or full of faith. She wasn't of the family of faith initially. Her only claim to fame is that she ended up in the middle of a big, ugly, complicated mess. And yet in the midst of that, she learned that God knew who she was. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and ask you to help us as we look at this story. Help us to learn from Hagar, to apply what we learn from her, and to be a part of what she accomplished in recognizing that God sees us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Paul Dixon has written a book called What's in a Name? And in that book, he shares some of the most unusual names he's ever come across. He's recorded a number of unusual names he heard of over the years and looked them up in different places. How would you like to have a name of Cletus Clodfelter or Rotten Earp? instead of Wyatt Earp, or Jingle Bells Kaplan, or I love this one, Boomfa Umfapa. What a name. Can you imagine? Hey, Boomfa. Dixon writes in his book about some other people who, even through their name, you get an idea of their occupation, like Joe Bunt. He became a baseball coach. Or Dan Druff. Can you guess what he did? He's a barber. Or the two last names of police officers, Go Forth and catch them. Uh, these guys, or, 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 you know, he said, or would you hire someone to work on uh, your house as a plaster contractor who had the name Will Crumble? So I think real names are funny sometimes. What's in a name? Well, God says there's a great deal of importance in what's in a name. I heard a story of an atheist who had gone out and he was fishing and he was in Scotland and all of a sudden uh, a huge dragon amphibian type thing that you might think, you know, what that is, leaps up and grabs the atheist by the throat and it starts to take him down. And all of a sudden the atheist says, dear God, please help me. And everything freezes. And God says, I didn't think you believed in me. He said, a minute ago, I didn't believe in the Loch Ness Monster, so just let, let me catch up, okay? So we... We may feel like that as we look at the character today of Hagar in, in the text in Genesis 16, 1 through 14. Look with me, if you will. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived, and when she knew she was pregnant, she began to, to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Adam, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Um, it's funny. I don't know if you've ever seen them. Stop there. That phrase is mitzvah. 
judged between you and me is mitzvah. And I've seen these little necklaces that people wear that have like two hearts that say mitzvah, judged between you and me. I don't think they understand what that means. It's a little different here as you read it in the text. We got a problem here is the issue. It's not so, so sweetheart. So do whatever you think is best. That's what Abram says. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert, and it was at the spring beside the road of Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she said. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count the angel of the Lord said to her, Now you are with child, and you will have a son. You shall name his name Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord. Notice that. The Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Ber Lahai Roai. Uh, it is still there between Kadesh and Berit. When you look at the book of Genesis, it tells a story many times in its chapter about people who have seen God or been confronted by God in a real and dramatic way. You think of Moses. You know, Moses uh, didn't see God face to face. You think of Adam and Eve in the garden. They walked with God in the garden. You, you, you look at Abram. You, you look at Noah. And these are people who have been confronted by God in a real and a dramatic way. This evening, I want us to look at Hagar, who was confronted and approached by God. A woman who never thought that God would take notice of her. I wonder how we think about that. She wasn't wealthy. It wasn't like, again, we looked at David this morning. It's not like she was raised in a palace. It's not like she was raised in the temple. She wasn't known great. She was a maidservant. Her only claim to fame, as I said earlier, is she wound up in a big mess. Something that was so complicated that you just didn't know how to sort it out. But I think we can learn, I think we can learn some important lessons as we sort through the story of Hagar in the chapter here that we're looking in Genesis chapter 16. I think the first thing that we learn is this. Number one, Hagar represents those offended by God's people. Hagar represents those offended by God's people. I think the product of Abraham and Sarai is this, fear and mistrust. That's the result of their relationship. Fear and mistrust. Fear that I'm not going to have any children. Fear that I'm not going to bear any children. Fear that we won't produce. Fear that God's promise will not come. And because of that, they mistrust the promise of God. They may mistrust each other, too, as you read through that. Judge between you and me, that mitzvah. So he said, you judge between you and me. That, there's a contention there. There's some fear and mistrust. As you look at the chapter, we start really in Egypt as we start to think of this story. We start there because of Hagar, who was an Egyptian woman. 
she was probably one of the maidservants who were given over to Abram uh, from the king of Egypt. If you remember the story and you go back, it was a time in Abram's life that his faith failed him. He didn't really trust God. And he tried some shenanigans that got him and his family in trouble. And so he went down to Egypt and he, he requested that Sarai conceal the fact that she was his wife and hide that so that he might not be killed and her taken. Uh, you know, let's pretend, you know, we're brother or sister and, and then they'll, you know, they'll, they'll play this up and they'll be nice to us because they'll, you know, want something. How, how contrived can that be? How, you know, you look at that and think, how can you come up with that kind of idea? I think sin, whenever it is committed by a child of God, is sure to involve that child in ultimate sorrow. Things will happen when you don't trust God. In the long run, I think the result of any false dealing comes home to the believer. That if we lie and conceal, either by omission or by outright lying, as he did, there's going to be a problem. And there was a problem in their life because of what they did there in Egypt. I think as you continue to look at the story, you see a second thing, and that is that there is unbelief in God's promise. The result, as you read the story, of course, is a son. There was, there was not belief in God's promise that there would be a son, and the result of that, there was a son, but it was not the one that was promised. They didn't have belief in God. Hagar became a special maid to Sarai. Uh, her handmaiden. God had promised Abram that he would have a son and he would be the father of what? Many nations. From that relationship, that relationship, there would come something special. But there were no children born to Sarai, right? You read the story and you see her and you see the conflict that's there in their marriage and the Again, fear and mistrust in their relationship between God and themselves. When you go back and read that promise, there's no special mention made of Sarai in the promise as it stood. You shall be the father of many nations. So maybe as they began to parse it and take it apart, well, maybe this is what God meant. They began to pick and think about what could happen and what they might do. Abraham expected Sarai to be the mother. They began to question whether that would be right or not. And so did Sarai. And in her unbelief, she proposes something. I, I look at her and I, I see her and what she does, and I don't think it's too much different than what Abram did when he was in Egypt. We try to connive try to meddle, try to fix things that God is working on in the background anyway because we're not patient enough to wait on God to do something in our lives. Abram listened to her, unfortunately. Now, according to the customs of the time and the land that they lived, this was a perfectly acceptable idea. The, the act in itself was okay, according to the law, but was it the right thing to do? Was it right to try to force God's hand or would it have been better to believe God? And I think you see the littleness of Abram's faith at this point. When you look at his life and see what he did, you begin to see that 
soon enough that sorrow is going to come through. We know because we know the story, but it's just building. Remember, as you read these stories in the time in which they were uh, written, that the language was an oral tradition. And the nation Israel heard these as stories shared with them. Not everybody could read. Uh, you, you go back uh, a couple hundred years, not everybody in the United States could read. Some people simply could mark a document with an X and they made their mark because they could neither read nor write. Well, think of the nation of Israel like that and this story is being told and people are hearing it. They know what's going to happen and yet they want to hear the story again because it teaches a lesson. And the lesson I think it's trying to teach us right here is the littleness of our faith will bring us sorrow unless we trust God. You listen to them and you see their unbelief, the unbelief and the promise of God. I think also it it is a mistake to use human means to accomplish divine aims. It is a mistake to use human means to accomplish divine aims. If God says he's going to do something, what makes us think we can do it better? Let that roll around for a moment. If God says he's going to handle something, what makes us think we can do it better or faster? Many times we pray for something to happen and we cannot wait, we will not wait on God to accomplish his goals or his plans in our life. That's unfortunate. Because God has a promise, I believe, for his children. He says he'll never leave us or forsake us. He knows what our needs are. You read in the New Testament, he knows how we need to be clothed. You look in Matthew, he knows that we need food. He knows what our needs are. And yet sometimes we push God for things we want instead of what he wants to give us. I think also as you still really under this first point B, really, Sarai abuses Hagar in this relationship as you read on if you were to read all the the chapter you see that Hagar was an Egyptian raised in a pagan environment she was not of the household of faith we have no record of her ever praying to God up until this point she met God at this spring it wasn't as if she prayed to God every day now maybe maybe once she got in the family she did something like that but but she was Egyptian she was a pagan She was abandoned or orphaned by her mother or father. She was sold into slavery to be a a handmaiden at a young age. She had no reason to believe in their God. But this God, the God that we read of here, says that she should be brought and given to Abram. He had a plan even though she may not have thought there was a plan, even though Abram and them didn't think there was really a plan they were trusting, yet God knew what was going to happen. She was brought into the household of faith. It was probably one of the only households in the world that worshiped the one and only true God, and she wound up there. What a blessing. Of all the places she could have wound up, she wound up in the one that believed in God. I think we forget that. Maybe the whole household got together and maybe they had worship services. It was a little different than you and I would think of. It was the chosen family at that moment of time. Uh, She undoubtedly became aware of the faith of Abram and Sarai. She had to see it. She had to hear about it. And possibly, maybe she even joined in with worship. 
I hope that's what she was able to do. But after she became pregnant with Abram's child, she showed some pride to Sarai, and Sarai began to abuse her, to slap her, to yell at her, to demean her in front of the other women. And, And this is where Sarai, who had talked loftily to God about what her desires were, shows her lack of faith and her godliness. Hagar could see now how thin of a veneer was Sarai's faith. We talked a good talk, but when it came down to it, this was all your idea, you pushed it, it didn't turn out the way you wanted, and now look at how you act. I think sometimes we can be that as the children of God, unfortunately. Maybe you've been hurt by some Christians or hurt by a church member. Maybe those mistreatments hurt you so deeply uh, that you just thought maybe I'll not be Christian anymore. Maybe I'll do something else. Maybe I'll act in an unchristian way myself. That is how it was for Hagar. She had been in a home that named God but did not act godly. Hagar didn't like many people. Why should she? She had been abandoned in this place. And so she thought, I'll go back to Egypt and be with my people. I'm sure she said in her mind, at least these people aren't hypocrites. When you read this story and see the way that she was treated, I think we can imagine how she might have felt. Second, the appearance of the angel. When you look at this passage of Scripture, I've talked about this over the past few weeks because it keeps coming up in the, in the things that I've been studying and preaching about. We have here, again, what's called the theophany, and that C-O is God, and ophany is appearance or vision. And you have this vision of the angel of the Lord, uh, but this angel of the Lord you and I would see as Jesus. She's sitting there by a well. She's run away. She's exhausted because of what she's done. I can't, I mean, uh, imagine what it would be like here outside to run away to Sand Springs. (laughs) And you're sitting by the the sandy water of the river out here and you're exhausted. That's what it would have been like for her in that moment. There is no one within sight. There's nothing around her. No caravan is passing by. There's nobody, and she sits there quiet and still, and she hears this, Hagar. Hagar. And she looks up, and there is a brightness, a brightness brighter than the sun, something she couldn't even look at. It's so bright. She can't bear to look in it, and then she hears again, Hagar, Sarai's maid. Whoever this is, whoever this is knows who she is. There's nobody, no, nobody there, but they know who she is. They know all about her. I don't know how you met God. If you, you met him in church or you met him at a camp or you met him uh, while you were driving down the road. I don't know how you came to know him. Maybe it was in, in, in a revival someplace. Uh, maybe it was by the side of the road where you had stopped and, and pulled over to pray because you were anguishing about something. I don't know how you heard God, but we can hear from God. He can speak to us. And he spoke to Hagar. When you read this, who is the angel of the Lord? 
in the Old Testament, there are many times when Jesus appeared before he was born. And these, again, theophanies, they call him the angel of the Lord in the Hebrew. The Greek word is messenger, angelos. Uh, it means a messenger, a speaker. But specifically in Malachi 3.1, he is called the messenger of the covenant. He's a messenger from God. He is God. I, I, the reason I know that is because of the way that Hagar talks to him. Remember, every time you see an angel who is just an angel from God and you try to worship that person, he says, no, get up, don't worship me, we're both going to get in trouble. But when that person accepts the reverence and the worship, then that is God appearing in a different way than he's appeared before. Jesus appearing before he was born. You read that word, he is the God who sees me. She goes on to say again, I have seen God and she was not corrected angel didn't say no that's not me it's him and so he comes and he visits her how special is that moment when the lord comes to this woman very much like he did a woman at the well in the new testament right to visit with her about her life and to get her back on the path Maybe God wants to visit with you today and he wants to stop you and talk to you and ask you why you're running away. To visit with you and see how you can change the direction of your life and follow the original path that God has set for you. If we're not careful, we'll be like Sarai and we'll be angry and drive people away or we'll be like Hagar and we'll let people drive us away or we'll run away. And that's not what God wants from us. I know that because I see the encouragement here in this passage of Scripture. He called her by name, Hagar. What if you heard your name? Think of your name and think of God calling that right now. He is calling you every time you open this book, every time you worship in this place, every time you lift up a prayer, he's calling you. I think also he knows her. He knew her history, servant of Sarai. He knew who she was. He knew everything about her, what she had done, and why she was running away. And he asked her the question, what are you leaving behind? Where are you headed? What are you doing? Do you really want to give up and go back into the world is what he's asking us today. Do we want to turn our back on what God's asked us to do and do things our way? Or are we willing to submit ourselves to God and go back to what he had planned for us. What a lesson, I think, is here in this story in Genesis chapter 16. You look at 16.8, I am running away from my mistress, Sarai. At least she answered honestly, right? She, she owned up to what was going on in her life. She honestly answered, I'm running away. I liked Peanuts cartoon. Years ago, the family used to buy those little uh, cartoon books. I mean, you know, they were about that big, little ones you could buy, and they'd have cartoon series in them. And Peanuts was one of the ones uh, that my family would buy for me because I just, I love the characters. And one of those little books I have, uh, it's Linus is talking to, to Charlie Brown, and they're chatting. And it says, I, I like to face problems head on. I don't like to face problems head on, Linus says. I think... The best way to solve problems is to avoid them. In fact, this is a distinct philosophy of mine. There is no problem so big or so complicated it can't be run away from. 
And that's what Hagar was doing, running away. I think a lot of people feel that way. They don't like their job. They want to quit. They don't like their marriage. It's too difficult. I want a divorce. Their parents are too strict. They want to sneak out of the house. I I don't like the way life is treating me, so I'm going to take drugs and alcohol. I'm going to gamble. I'm going to go shopping. There's a number of ways that you can run away and turn your back on your problems. We usually run away because we don't think there is any solution to our problem. But yet in this text, I think the Lord commands her to go back and to work through it. To go back and to work through it. There is a place that God intends for you to be. Do you hear that? There is a place that God intends for you to be. You need to decide where that is and what God is saying to you. I think also as we look at this second thing, Jesus promises reward for obedience. As you read through verses uh, 10 and 11, if you have that there, look at verses 10 and 11 of chapter 16. The angel said, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child. You will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. Isn't that a great message? God knows what's going on in your life. He knows your misery. He knows what you're fighting. Like this morning, he knows the giant. And he has a plan for us, but he expects for us to obey him, to submit ourselves to him. Here's what Deuteronomy 5.29 says. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all of my commandments always so that it might go well for them and their children. See, if we follow God, it goes well for us and our children if we stick with God and don't run away. Thirdly, Hagar's change of heart. As you look at this, I think she had what we might call a one-on-one with God. She had some time where she spent talking to God about what was going on. She realized she was speaking with the divine presence and she could not help but exclaim, you are the God, you are the God, the one, she says. You are the one, you are the God. I'm not alone. I'm not friendless. There is a God and he sees me. You are not alone. You are not friendless. There is a God, and he sees you. He knows you, and he knows what you're going through. What a great message it is for us. What a relief, what a peace in our heart we can have when we listen to the words of Hagar. There is a God who sees me. It's one thing to believe that there is a God, but it's quite another to know that that God has been personally talked with. And to know him. Old Testament says that I might know him in the fellowship. Or New Testament says that I might know him in the fellowship of his suffering. That I might know him. These things have I written that you might know, the Bible says. That we can know him. It's one thing to read books about God. Read books about God. You should. 
Nothing wrong with reading books about God. I have a whole lot of books about God. I have the Bible. Then I have all these books in my library about God, what God does, what God says, how he lives, how he touches our lives. I read those books. It's, it's, it's fine to look at nature and to, to study nature and to see. I see in the perfume of the flowers the breath of God. I see in the, 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 the flowers curves the hand sketching of God as he designed all of that it's wonderful to look at that and look at the stars and see the billions of them and recognize there is a creator but it's one thing to say there is a creator there's another to say I know him I know him the demons know there is a God the Bible says but they tremble in fear you can know God you can know him personally You can be involved with him in a step-by-step relationship. As Adam and Eve walked with God, so can you. If you turn to him in faith and believe who he is. When we've been in his presence, when we feel his power, when we've tasted his love, we will know that we have. There's no doubt about it. I know that I know, we will say. How do you know? You, I just know. I, can, I know. There's no way around it once you meet him. So she has her choice. She made her, her way back to the tent of Sarai. Her mistress is hard, but sin is harder. She went back. She bared the reproach, the rebuke, uh, because she has a promise deep down in her heart. You are with child, and this child will be a great child, God says. The father, again, of many nations. Although it's not what God intended for Abram and Sarai, it is indeed what turned out for Hagar. The very thing that they wanted for their life turned out for her life as well. It's interesting how God does things when we trust him. And so she returned, and she was surrounded by God. He bathed over her in his presence and his power and his plan though Abram and and Sarai might not acknowledge her or encourage her it made no difference because God did God saw her God knew her and God promised her he would be with her her heart was light within her because there was God with her You and I are going to walk through some troubled times in this world. And we're going to need something. We're going to need to nail down in the word of God our monument of faith. She had a monument of faith. It was that well. This spring or this well undoubtedly had another name before uh, she sat down there. It was known by some other name. But now it's named the well of the living one who sees me. The well of the living one who sees me. It tells of her personal experience, and she wished to always remember it like that. And as you read through the text, her story had been heard and witnessed by others, and now other people called that name by the same name that Hagar called it. Because Hagar met God, Hagar changed the lives of other people. They heard the message too. This is the place where I met God. This is the place where I met the God. I think every traveler who stopped there and drank from that water had to hear, at least in the back of their mind, this is where Hagar met God. 
maybe I can meet God here too. So, so we really look at this passage and I think we deal with Hagar, the problems that she dealt with. What are some of those problems? I think the main thing tonight, no problem is too big for God. You will never hear God say, I don't really see a solution to this problem. That's never going to be words that come from God in your prayer life. Yeah, why don't you just give up? God's not going to say that to you. If you hear that, that's not God. God knows the solution to your problem, and he knows what you need to do to turn around and face your problem. I've known people who've lived their lives completely differently when they did that. They met God. They turned their lives around. They heard his advice. But I've met other people who were like Hagar the first time. They heard the story, they didn't believe it, and they ran away. The Bible talks about that in New Testament, how the message falls on some good ground, some bad ground. So people hear the message, but they don't always respond the same way. Hagar ended back up where she started, didn't she? Because she followed the message of God. When you face your difficulties, when, when you are in that place, remember that there is El Roy, the God who sees me, the God who knows me. The God, I guess in the word we can use, wants to be your consultant. Wouldn't that be a modern day word, I guess? He wants to consult with you. He wants to advise you. He wants to be your advisor about your life and what you should do. Here's your life, Hagar. Here's what you should do. Here's your life, Marty. Here's what you should do. Here's your life. Here's what you can do. God's speaking to us today. No matter how ugly or complicated or how hopeless our situation is, we need to remember that God sees us. Will you bow your head with me for a moment? Every head bowed, every eye closed, and think with me through this time for just a minute. Maybe someone, a brother or sister in Christ, has offended you. Maybe you've done things to others who have said you have. Maybe you feel like Hagar and that personal encounter with Jesus has now told you you need to do something differently. You need to approach life in another way. Maybe you're tempted right now to run from your marriage or your job or, or your family or maybe even church. But God wants you to go back and submit to God's will so that you can discover the promise he has for you. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we ask you to help us in this moment. May we approach this story of Hagar and hear her and respond just like she did with faith in you. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Maybe you think about my preaching like I heard this one minister before we go next door. He gave an unusual sermon one day, and when he did, he he took a peanut and he began to talk about it, and he used it as an illustration about God and some different things. He told some illustrations by using that peanut for the sermon. And then one church member went out, and as he went out on his way, he said, Pastor, I never, ever thought I learned so much from a nut. So... God bless you. May you have a great evening. Let's go eat. Bye.